there should be a screen that pops up and just goes three, two, one, and then we run. So we are live. Oh, so no countdown anymore. No so countdown. Crowdcast has changed it. So we are live now, guys. Um, <laughs> all right. So first, before we get started, got to cheers, you guys. Thanks for being on here. Another episode. And this is actually a really special episode. Cheers, guys. This is our 20th episode, I believe. Wow. Wow. So, all right. Right? So it's a, it's been an interesting Interesting uh, little journey as we define what this actually is supposed to be, other than just me an excuse to drink with my dog, my dog buddies. So, you know, that's pretty. <laughs> but today's a really special episode. Um, I got some great, 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 great uh, people on today. Uh, some people I really respect have been in the game for a really long time. I would consider them, you know, like OGs in the game with it. Uh, Howard Young, and then I, Rob, I always mess up your bat, your last name, Paladin. Oh, it's easy. It's Paladin. Pelodosi, always always mess it up because I said Pelodu, it's Pelodo. So it's always <laughs> why has it got the easiest name in the world? My name is Mike Jones. So you just go Chateau Pelodo. Pelodo. So Chateau I appreciate you guys um for coming on. And I know Howard, this is pretty late for you guys out there. You're out there, you're on your far east coast. Um, so I appreciate your beyond as well. Uh, just so people know, the way that I've met uh, both these gentlemen is Rob uh, actually uh, Samantha asked me to come to the hot wing challenge and I had heard your name before. So Rob, if you don't know this people who are watching this and there's about, a, I think like 1100 or like 1900 people on here right now. Um, Rob is uh, a sadistic man that likes uh, very <laughs> hot sauce uh, and will play games with you and just like, Oh, Hey, we're just going to do this whole entire thing and ask questions. And then, you know what? Let's do the one that's off the list. And then it murders you, and then you end up barfing and throwing up for like an hour and a half on the way home. <laughs> but that was a thousand awesome. We did a Howard, if you didn't see it, we did a um, Rob put together this amazing thing for uh, one of his rescues, what we'll talk about too, uh, where we did the Hot Ones uh, challenge. I, I don't know, not only Rob, I feel like it was a setup because he probably like maneuvered some of the sauces around. Um, where it was no. Michael Ellis. Uh, Freaking uh, Rob Kelly Dunbar, uh, and then Amy oh, Kenderson, yeah, and then her husband was out there too. I didn't even know we talked before. Oh, Jimmy, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I like, and we, we've had a great relationship ever since we've seen each other. So, like, that was really cool for me. That was a huge, like, a huge thing for me because I was like, he was like, why the hell am I up there with like <laughs> these guys? Like, I'm just the, the dude with the tattoos and the beard that people. Like I was like, what? Like okay, so like it was it was just really cool to be there. And then uh, I'll I'll tell the quick story is that we went through the whole entire list. And like at this time, I I, I was extremely vegan just because like my stomach issues. So Rob accommodated all that stuff, and like he's like got everything together. And uh, we go through these wings, and every single wing we do a question. And I think I want to say it had to be wing four or five. Where I almost gave, I think it was no, it, was, it had to be like the second to the last one where I gave up, I gave up my like plant based and I reached for the milk. I was just like, nope. And then I have a, a freaking gluten allergy too. So, like, with my stomach. So, I tried to grab, grab the beer. I was like, oh man, this is a horrible decision. And then I was like, all right, cool. Like, I was like, we're in front of people. This is live on the internet. I was like, I can't, like, I can't like you know start sitting over here just crying in the corner. So I just like all right, fine, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then Rob decides to add the double whammy, 
at the end, which I still to this day don't remember that sauce because as soon as I tasted it, I freaking just was like, nope, focus. You're, we're, we're, yeah, we're right that here. one, uh, that one's called the bomb. That's the one, the last one that killed me. Yeah, and oh. it makes your teeth hurt. It, it, it tastes like ass, and yeah, it's super hot. I still have, I use it quite a bit. Um, just to, just to heat up some sauces, but yeah, by itself, oh, it'll kill you. But I probably have about fifty of those kind of hot sauces in my cabinet. Dude, yeah, that's yeah. You know, I actually gotta send you that Cerberus whiskey because I mean, I feel like that would be like, like an easy, like, all right, cool, this is a cool sipper. Whereas the rest of us would be dead, curled up in a ball, shivering somewhere <laughs> with some cold sweats or something like that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll shut some people down. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, and Michael Ellis looked over at me and he says, "Have you been preparing for this <laughs> all my life?" <laughs> there, we'll talk about this forever. later too. There's a show on Netflix about oh, guys who make the like they 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 make the peppers right, like the crazy peppers. Yeah, like those ones. I just saw it the other day. Like in my mind, like in the, we were watching it. Like I think it was like. Me, Aaron, and my uh, my daughter Ivy. I think we were watching it like in the morning one day, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like the guys. He's like he's like being sadistic about like I just want to make the craziest pepper. I don't even know how hot this is. There's no scale to it. I'm like, is that? Are you friends with Rob? Like, did, like, <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now right. there's a couple times that I made a really, really, really hot sauce and then uh, shared it with other people because I'm like, it's it's not hurting. Somebody else needs to try this to make sure I'm not broken. And they come back and go, no, you're broken, dude. <laughs> how, Howard, how do you do with hot? I, I like hot, but the older I get, I think the less I like it. My system doesn't like it too much. <laughs> so before I introduce you guys uh, even further, like get into all you guys' backgrounds and everything like that, um, I talked about how I met uh, Rob. Uh, I've never physically really met uh, you, Howard. I, I've, we've yeah. talked online. I think it's starting maybe a year or two back. Just mm -hmm. simple conversations. And the one, uh, the the way that I actually got introduced to you without even you knowing is that you had the white beard. <laughs> so, and I, that's when I had the the I didn't have the baby beard I have now. Um, happy wife, happy life, right? So, like that's what. <laughs> so I had the 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 I had the bigger beard, and someone was like, "Man, it's like." You gotta check this uh, this uh, this dude out. He's like killing. He's like you know. You guys both got beards and all. Like so I looked at it. And I I'd seen your stuff before, but then I just didn't put like the white beard um, mm -hmm. uh, canine thing. And I think you were doing like a t-shirt run or a design. I was like, yeah. I messaged you or something. I was like, I was like, I gotta get. I was like, I gotta get one of these things because eventually, hopefully, I mean, eventually this will turn white and not just all scattered <laughs> how it is now. Um, but I was just like, man, I was like, all right. I was I watched a lot of the work that you were doing and like still in the suit, still you know grinding it out. And then like one of my favorite videos was that uh, conda uh the cadaver indication that you guys were working uh, with the box and like the clickers. I actually sent that to uh, one of my clients when it came to like duration and holding the markers when you were working that uh, in the box. I was like, look, I was like, look at, I was like, I rush through things here a lot um, when it comes to just getting dogs in and out and like te uh, teaching really simple you know, indication and not necessarily, and you messaged me a while, uh, you know, whenever, not even a month ago yeah. um, with that dog, Samson. And I was like, you know, not having these like, you know, crazy, you know, dogs who are just like high drive and just like focused mm -hmm. and pushing, pushing, pushing and doing all those other things. And I saw like the, that video and I actually sent it to my clients. I'm like, look, it was like, 
this guy's doing cadaver work and he's being simple. He's teaching the dog how to place its head, drive within the box, show where it's at, indicate where it needs to be. I was like, just look at where it is, and that's I, I look at where it goes, and like this is how simple it is. It doesn't it is have right. to be, yeah, like it doesn't have to be like freaking all what you see on social media where there's bags and stuff everywhere. Like you can start at the basics and yeah. uh, probably, I mean, I'm assuming I have you have you talked to Jake's? You know Jake Scott Howard? No, no, sounds familiar. So he's out. He's out near Eric Van Ness. Um, okay. So he's a Mondia Ring guy. I think he's a Mondia Ring. Uh, World oh, I know you're talking about. I know yeah, US yeah. super tattooed dude. Right. Uh, so he, we were talking about indication and like you know how to do things. Like, cause I'm for me, I there's so many different avenues and what I what we work in. Um, I was like, I was just trying to figure out like the proper way of teaching indication, especially when it came to you know you know, not crossing explosive with narcotics or bodies or like you know things like that. And, and it was it was just really interesting to me. So. I always look at uh, that one, I think that one push you guys had when you guys were working on that with the cadaver one. I thought that was really cool. Um, but so let's get into the stories of how you guys got started. So Howard, I'm going to start with you first. How did you, uh, how did, uh, did you get to this place? How did we get here? <laughs> it's, it's actually a really strange trip. Um, I One of the things I wanted when I got out of college is I really wanted a Rottweiler. I grew up with German Shepherds. Um, at that time, Rottweilers weren't really that well known, uh, which is we're talking about early 1980s, mid 80s. Um, so actually, when I graduated, I didn't have enough money to buy one. I didn't have $300 to put together to actually buy a full fledged Rottweiler. So I got a, a Rottweiler mix, half Shepherd, half Rottweiler. And then uh, I actually didn't know enough to to obedience training. I hired somebody to do obedience training for me, but it gave me the bug. Um, it kind of gave me the bug to go out and um, I actually got a Rottweiler and then I obedience trained it myself and started really learning and then got involved with uh, a gentleman that was training protection dogs. So I took my my female Rottweiler there and lo and behold, she had what it, what it takes to actually do, you know, personal protection type work. So one thing led to another and um, I ended up spending more and more time there and ended up being his primary decoy and helping with training police dogs and protection dogs. And one thing led to another. And I also got introduced to the sport of Schutzen and that uh, opened a lot of doors for me. But honestly, um, I was running a Schutzen club here in the town that I live and it got the attention of some of the local police officers. And they they started realizing that how inadequate their dogs were. And that's not to compare sport to to actual police dogs, but their dogs were were inadequate in a lot of ways. And they were seeing these folks come to my place on a weekly basis and the dogs were outshining there in every aspect. And um, one thing led to another that the chief was new. There was a new chief at the time and he asked me to evaluate their four teams. And I did, and I found that really two of them were were just grossly inadequate. And I did all I did a write up for him and presented it to him. Um, I don't think he was expecting that. I did like his four page, typed it out on a typewriter for word processors, and gave it to him. And a few weeks later, he called me in and asked me if I wanted a job. And I said, I've already got a job. I mean, at that point, I was working as a mental health professional. 
I said, what do you have in mind? He said, well, I'd like to hire you as our canine trainer and you would be responsible basically for over the whole thing in terms of procurement of dogs, helping select handlers. Now, was I out of my depth? Absolutely. There was so much that I didn't know, but there were, but I was bringing a considerable amount of experience with me, uh, certainly willing to learn a lot more, uh, really opened up the door. And from that point, I mean, I worked for that agency for 26 years before we decided to uh, contract for services. And when I started expanding, I took on the local sheriff's office and another police department and uh, in each situation, they were hiring me as, and my taxes were a mess. We were, <laughs> so it was, we talked to a financial advisor, he invited us, advised us to start a business. So that's where Whitebeard Canine came from. And uh, that has worked out phenomenally well. Just, it's helped immensely. Awesome. Have you got into uh, the pet sector yet? I haven't. You know, Eric Stambro teases me all the time. He says, Howard, that's where the money is. That's where the money is. And I realize that. However, I'm not there yet. I probably have another. I'm working as in education now. I probably have another year or two. And when I retire, I, I may venture that direction. I've been fortunate that um, I've been able to pursue my passion. Uh, it's not my livelihood. It's been a nice additional source of income. Um, I don't know that I would feel the same way if I'd been full time all this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, my body's broken enough. I'd probably I'd probably be wheelchair bound if I was doing it every day. But it's still been very it's something I'm still very passionate about. A lot of men, uh, a lot of guys, handlers that I've gotten to know over the years. Um, it's just been really a it's been a great outlet. A lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, I got to go back to the mental health stuff we're going to talk about uh, after this. But Rob, as Rob as we, Howard says, like, you know, his body's broken down. Rob's holding like a cast up and like the same, like this arm here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, Rob, I, I know like we've, we've talked about, um, you know, how you got into it and everything like that before, like on Instagram and just like when you had me out for the uh, 11th hour thing. Um, give a rundown for the viewers here. Like, how how did you get started? What's uh, what's the path? I know you're a man of uh, many different things that you've been doing, and not including just the hot sauce, but just the dog training and everything. So, give us the rundown. Yeah, I've had a few different career paths. Um, and funny that just like Howard, mine started with Rottweilers. I mean, if we go back to when I actually trained a dog, like we talked about earlier. The first dog I ever trained, I was 13. I was training our English bulldog to climb a ladder with me so we could slide down those slides that used to burn your ass if you had the shorts on because it was a steel slide. Yeah. Yeah, I taught my English bulldog to climb that ladder. It's about seven foot and go down the slide with me. So I guess I've been training dogs a lot longer than I thought. But to be, you know, the actual training of dogs started with a Rottweiler. I started, I had a shop in, in a town and it was a closed in a lot that I started wanting to have a perimeter dog or a sentry dog for. So I went and got these dogs and I didn't know much about anything. So I got a Pitbull Rottweiler mix, a couple of them, and they stole my dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and then so I got I got a friend of mine from the martial arts community he goes, hey, I heard you're looking for a dog. I've got one at home that uh, my dad's the only person who could touch him. He's been chained out. Kids tease him every day. He's a real He's crazy. 
So I went out and looked at that dog, and it was a full German import Rottweiler, 82 pounds of just solid beauty. beauty. And I walked out without anybody in the backyard, and I just grabbed him by his face. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what's up? And we just started playing. My buddy comes out and goes, dude, uh, that dog wants to kill everybody. Oh, well, not me. Put a leash on him, took him home. Um, but it kind of started from there. I didn't know anything about anything. So I started working with another guy who didn't know anything about anything. And we went to every dog training club. We watched, every, I've, I've still got all my original VHS tapes from like Learberg and all that. They just want to make you just yeah. stab yourself in the eye. Um, but yeah, all that stuff back then was all compulsion based. It was escape avoidance. It was a whole lot of things, but that's what was going on. Um, but it just turned into a hobby and I got into, I went to shits and clubs. I went to PSA clubs. I went to French ring clubs and I trained everything I could. And then, uh, eventually met with some people when I moved to Sonora who had a dog training company going on and they were into PSA. Um, cause I first started with PSA before it was PSA it was an APD. Um, and uh, then, uh, when that broke down, it became PSA. But anyway, these people were into PSA. Plus, they were into some of the police uh, agencies, selling them dogs, training dogs, etc. And that got me connected with that community. And as I worked with them, I ended up working for another company. Um, and I worked with about 14, 15, I don't know how many agencies up and down California. And, you know, working with cops every day. And they're like, hey, why don't you become a cop? I'm like, okay. In my 40s. I went to the academy and became a cop, got hired by an agency that I was already training. I had my dog before I had my badge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of blew up, just kind of went down that path. And um, from that, about 10 years ago or so, we started working with more pet stuff and the reactivity levels and all that. I tell people all the time, I work with most aggressive cases. Thank you very much. Um, the... Uh, I tell people all the time, I learned to teach dogs how not to bite because I first taught them how to bite, yep. you know, how to read that dog, how to read that body language, how to turn it off, how to turn pressures on and off, you know, how to, you know, be with that dog and, and understand intuitively what that dog, that dog was trying to say. So that led to the explosion of the pet side of it. And I probably, well, I started out doing 90% law enforcement and 10% pet. Now I'm probably 90% pet and 10% law enforcement. Mm -hmm. The path that we're on in this, you know, Western society with law enforcement, I think we're probably all going to be doing pets. <laughs> the, that's definitely, uh, it's <laughs> definitely going to be probably, I mean, that's always been our, like at least our business in Primal Canine, that's been our life. Uh, it's, you know, predominantly pet behavioral. Uh, but Robbie brought up a good uh, a good point, and this is something I, I I always say, is that I learned in behavioral. So I learned in like the dogs, like you know, learning how to read a dog, you know, teaching them essentially not to bite, learning the cues, and in reverse, that helped me learn how to trigger dogs when I'm working as a decoy, so I can work. Because I mean, I, at the same time, when I first learned how to be a decoy, at the time was a helper because it was Shitson, right. like, before they changed all the different acronyms, all the, the different little acronyms and everything for it, um, is that I started, I was fighting at the time, so I was in combat sports, I was boxing, actually at that time I was doing mixed martial arts, um, so I was I was fighting at the time, so a lot of it's like, you know, fast movements, you get stuck in footwork, but my, what helped me, and this is the question that Ted and Eric had for me last time on Working Dog Radio, because they're like, do you think combat sports help, help 
you know, be in like a better decoy. And I was like, yeah, it oh, doesn't, absolutely. it doesn't. Yeah, like, I feel like I feel like it 100% helps you with like learning how to move. But I think the part of it that happens with a lot of young guys that come into it, if they're in combat sports, is they're it's a combat. It's like a it's 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 training. It's trial every time. It's not training. They're not because no. not. I mean, Rob, I'm sure. Like, I mean, Howard, I'm sure you know this well too. You know, there's a sparring partner, someone who's going to help you get ready for it, and then there's the one that's going to test you for it, which is your fight. So I always look at myself as a good sparring partner. So I was lucky enough to learn behavioral, still be in combat sports, and then go into helper work. And it helped me tremendously because I was already teaching dogs now, now not how to bite, but I was watching their body language. And then now I'm teaching them how to bite and you know, creating reactivity and just different like behavioral things, switching drives, drive manipulation. Now I'm watching this dog and I can do things in simple fashion of squaring up not squaring up but by understanding what their mental process is and what their drive process is and i felt like that helped me out so much mm -hmm. um just understanding those things because i feel like that's a that's a huge thing because everyone always thinks that uh you know protection sports or even if it's in play like someone's doing personal protection or like you know in law enforcement i feel like everyone views that as something something so much different than what it actually is i mean mm -hmm. I mean, granted, you know, it's different lines, different breeds, different things. The dog has it. They don't have it, you know, whatever it may be. But as a trainer, if you're looking at all different aspects, some dogs can have fun doing it. Are they going to be a qualified personal protection dog, a law enforcement dog? Are they going to compete in even Schutzen or PSA or ring? Maybe not, but they might excel to the best of their potential because they like doing it. But, I mean, I, I think that's a really interesting thing, Rob, um, is understanding those things and like how that actually helps like learning protection actually helps behavioral cases mm -hmm. well you know and it's funny you bring up the mma thing and the, and the combat sports thing you know because i grew up in martial arts all my life my dad was a black belt in 1966 the year i was born you know so i grew up in it too and yes absolutely it was huge and i think that's where a lot of my intuition comes from dogs and reading someone the same way you would read somebody on the street are they a are they friend or foe where how are they moving etc that and being able to absorb you know you know you take a little bit of the aikijitsu end of it you're absorbing things especially when you're decoying being able to just feel the impact move with the dog being able to read your opponent and yeah it's a dance you know so i it was absolutely you know uh huge in my development i think and transferred over to my dog training that i didn't even realize until i was already training dogs I'm like oh the timing's there the snaps there everything's right there you know and then also training that into my own police dogs you know i i look for dogs now that i can train in my methods and you know when i first started every freaking police canine was an asshole Mm -hmm. and everybody was going to get bit. The handler was going to get bit. The cover officer was going to get bit, and the bad guys were going to get bit. I don't know which order it was going to happen, but somebody was getting bit because that's the way we picked dogs back then, thinking they had to be aggressive. And what I've learned over the years and what I've transferred to that is now my dogs that I pick go out more like a professional fighter. They're not mad. They're not, they're not angry. They love the fight. Right. And it's, it's a good time for them when they go out and take down that guy. It's yeah. not about not about being angry and mean and, and aggressive. It's that's my job. I go out, I bite, it feels good. 
and I love to do it. And I want to do it again. Yeah, we had a dog years ago named Lasso that was a Czech Shepherd, and he was funny looking. His coat was messed up. He moved like a hyena, and he had four different handlers, and he bit every one of them. And it was really kind of funny because, you know, by the time it rolled around to the fourth guy, it's like, it's coming. I, I can't tell you when, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to change. So you yeah. just need to not overreact. Just roll with it. He's not yeah. going to attack you. But if you step on his foot, he's going to let you know it. Well, that was the old montage or the whole thing we used to always say. We always said is every handler, you're either A, you've been bit or you're going to be bit. Mm -hmm. You know, that was just it. You just knew your day was coming. And thankfully, over the years, we've been able to adjust that. Most of my dogs have never bit their handlers now, right. except for the handlers who were just idiots. I think the uh, when I worked with the Department of Defense, the like one of my mentors, David, like what he told me is like, it's not when, it's how bad it's going to be. Yeah. And like, that was the, because we were, at that time, we were working a bunch of low light, no light stuff and like SWAT teams, like just too much. He's like, he's like, it takes a specific type of dog for this. He's like, but just know it's not when it's how bad it's going to be. And yeah. that immediately switched into my thought process when I started working on like creating the kennels and bringing dogs in and like what, what I wanted to come in, like what could operate in a life saving situation. And this is a question I want to ask you guys, because you guys have, you know, I mean, I think, I think within the years, if we, if we accumulate every single person in here, it's almost, close to a hundred years of experience. Yeah. I want to, you know, even with the, with Rob's before the green room talk, I mean, we've got to be close to a hundred years of experience combined. Yeah. You count my 40 years of training an English bulldog. There you go. <laughs> hey, you made an English bulldog climb a ladder. That is an yep. accomplishment. <laughs> yep. Um, but I mean, like, that's like the thing too. And Howard, like, you know, in um your experience in mental health, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with officers who deal with high stress stuff consistently and you know, the dogs, obviously we, we all pretty much know they communicate like off of some form of paralanguage, which is like an energy based thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're just going to kind of vibe off of you. Yeah. Uh, and this is the question I have for both of you guys, because you guys are predominantly in this field. You know, when you have a dog who is already just genetically inclined to go, and then you're pairing them with an officer who is essentially the same thing. And then they go into this power struggle of like, and like this was an issue for me when I was working with SWAT teams, because I have a bunch of like top-notch operators going through and they, you know, they're a bunch of like everything's going crazy. Then I got a bunch of top-notch like, like dogs are just going crazy, like you know, same thing too. And I don't think people really understand this, uh, like from the outside perspective of it. You know, Howard, as as you being a mental health professional and also a canine person, like describe that scenario as far as what that communication looks like in that in that scenario of actual high stress. Well, you know, every it's funny because scenario based training has been something that's been kind of really brought to the forefront by by lots of folks within the last few years and. What's kind of funny is that I kind of felt I kept hearing that. I was thinking that my training is inadequate. And then what I came to realize is I've been doing it all along. <laughs> well, you know, and, and a lot of people have. It's just that I, I heard scenario based training and I'm thinking real elaborate scenarios. And the reality is we've always had a commitment to train in the environment we work in. So we don't have a training ground. We, we train in our community. 
So we'll, we'll pick a place to use. Um, but in, in terms of your question, I'm not sure that I understand it exactly. I, I know that I feel like I've kind of had over the years, I've kind of run the whole gambit of handlers where maybe the, the least athletic guy has been chosen. And then we also have the, the collegiate soccer player, the collegiate baseball player who has all kinds of coordination and understands the, the value of practice and deep practice. And the fact that the way you get better is that you, you chip away at it and it's not something you accomplish, you know, overnight, it's something you develop. And those kind of guys seem to really excel and understand the work ethic involved and, and the fact that it's not something that just happens. And it's also something you have to maintain. And then, you know, your other challenge is you're, you're given a, a guy that's not athletic at all, um, has never been involved in team sports or combat sports or anything like that. And he's he's got his own set of challenges and where the good instructor is is that how do you get the, that guy to be functional, not just functional, but be, be proficient and be confident. Um, the, I think that's the real challenge. And one of the things that uh, it's funny because you, you bring it up because I was talking to a, a buddy. Of mine. I, I'm supposed to present at the Blue Line Conference in St. Louis in May. And I, I left my topic kind of broad. It was maximizing your canine's potential. And, and I, I'm not a big, I don't feel like I'm an innovator. I don't have anything I'm trying to, to sell or a method or anything like that. I mean, our, our secret sauce, I think, is the fact that, one, I meet with these guys on a weekly basis. Some of them I meet with twice a week. So our training doesn't consist of an in-service that's once or twice a month for eight hours. I get a four-hour block twice a week with them. Um, and we've got, I mean, that kind of communication allows me to really get in, involved with them. So and get involved with their training. Um, I think the challenge is how do you, how do you get that guy that doesn't have the typical tools to be fully functioning? And this buddy of mine that I was talking to, he said, Howard, that's your, that's your knack. He said, you take, you can take the most. A type A guy that's full of himself and cocky and managed to teach him how to, to channel all that and, and utilize this dog. And you can take the, the least likely guy that, that doesn't have the tools and you help him become better than adequate. You fully function in and quite proficient. And, uh, and that's something that, you know, that I think that's probably something that I've learned to do. And that's probably where the mental health part comes in because if you think about it it's really a game of failures i mean if you kind of compare it to baseball so i kind of see like my role sometimes is is that of a coach um we're gonna have failures i mean like baseball i mean what sport three times out of ten at bats and that's considered better than average so what other thing can you do that you've you know you only you're only successful three out of ten times i mean that's a lot like dog training they're going to make mistakes. And sometimes you've got to be super patient with those mistakes because one, they may not be able to process what's coming at them because some of those dogs, because they're so high drive, it's light speed that they've got to make decisions. And that's probably been one of the, the bigger challenges for some folks is that they're great on training day. But you put them in the real world where they've got to make decisions and it all shuts down and they can't, so, so I think that was kind of the point that I was like trying to get to. I probably didn't nail it in there, but 
real life situation, uh, high level stress, you know, and especially you being in the men, uh, you know, mental health field, like high level stress, life and death things happening right then and there. And you guys both have experience in this with, you know, you know, you're being within law enforcement, training people, things of that nature. That was one thing that I noticed when I transitioned from, you know, just normal sports stuff into actual like, like working with dogs who are on the street and like not even just that, like within SWAT, like just, you know, high, high level, like dogs who are going to be out there doing like law enforcement work. And the the thing that I learned was that it wasn't necessarily, I can train the dog, work with the dog in a certain, um, certain like position, certain scenario based training, but it was the handler's reaction to that stress inoculation, like that heavy, just boom, like, all right, we're in the shit type of a thing. Like that was one of the things that I felt it was one of the harder things to communicate to them. Like, uh, and like for me, you know, I luckily had a mentor with me and everything like that. Like, but I'm talking to handlers on how to handle a certain situation when their dogs got a live bite off of, off of like a freaking an extraction out of a house oh. where people were smuggling children or something like that. Like, I'm like, just, I, Hey, like, calm down. This is how you communicate. This is what we got to do. This is what's going on or doing things like that. I feel like that's the, the part that's tricky, especially for guys like in your guys' field to do that most of the time is communicating when the shit hits the fan and and how to respond and not freeze. Well, body cams are, that's an amazing, I realize that there's mixed feelings about body cameras, but sometimes that, that just unveils a whole nother faction because we get to see firsthand deployment yep. <laughs> where in the past it was just word of mouth. You know how those things just tend to grow, but body cam tells it all. You know, I remember one of the, one of the handlers, uh, his first apprehension with his dog, and he ends up telling his dog to out seven times. So, you know, we take that and we dissect it. I mean, he, he took the dog off manually, and that's what he intended to do from the very beginning because it was the safest thing to do. But he caught himself saying out seven times. So it's on record that he's – telling his dog to out seven times, um, which is a bad perception. Yeah. So he's, he learned from that video. I mean, that's, it, it's, and he, if you asked him, how many times did you tell your dog to out? He probably couldn't tell you. He probably doesn't remember but maybe once. And that's that mental thing that happens when sure. hyper levels of stress happen or like well, you put, put into the shit. You get into auditory exclusion. You get into tunnel syndrome. Right. You know, when those when you're code three and the shit's hitting the fan, you don't I mean, I've never been in o, in an OIS officer involved shooting, but I've talked to a lot of guys who have and one of my current handlers went just went through it. And you don't hear the sounds of the bullets, you don't hear the rounds going off, you don't even know if you've been hit or not. You know, and it's just a whole different world. And, you know, one of the things I've always told people, I'm not the world's greatest dog trainer but i've always been a trainer of people right and i've always been able to translate between the two worlds mm -hmm. you know and to be able to get our guys who are those type a and so many of us in law enforcement are definitely type a you know and you get the type a dog on top of that and i always say that leash is a conduit Right. You know, so if you're fired up and you're stressed, you're going to send it right down the leash. Yep. So a lot of my guys, I send them to read and Lieutenant Grossman and all of that kind of stuff to get to learn about tactical breathing and those kind of things. And we, you know, do a lot of coaching and how to do that. 
And that in my stress inoculation during my handlers course, you know, I, you know, it's more like a, uh, I'm more like a military DI than I'm a trainer at that point. I need my guys to understand stress. They need to hear me yelling in there. They need to hear me talking to them, you know, talking shit to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're, you're screwing it all up, you know, get it right. And I have no problem going back to the old military style of you're getting a bucket. I've taken dogs away from my handlers, gave them a bucket, attach your leash to it. When you can handle this bucket properly, you can have your dog back. Yeah, so you start building that relationship. You start building that idea that, you know, it's more than just your personality. And you, it, it actually humbles a lot of them. You know, they become very humble and they actually become better cops because of it. Because they realize, you know, being the, the type A hard charging guy is not how you get it done. Right. You know, take a step back. Yeah. Look at your tools that you have around you. You got tools on your belt and you got tools in your back seat. You know, how are you going to use a tool appropriately? And it's not just let's go in and dive bomb this thing. Let's not just go in and we're going to bite everything and making guys make good decisions. And I, I've traveled around this country and I got to say that the lucky thing is, and, you know, maybe somebody will disagree with me, but I think California law enforcement is some of the best trained law enforcement in the nation. You know, we have so much training and I've been to like Florida, Georgia and places like that. It's not the same. Right. And the dogs aren't the same and the training isn't the same. There's not as high of an emphasis on the training as in California. We really are very spoiled here when we get to go to other states and see what's really going on. Yeah. So I get to work with some of the elite. I get to work with guys who really get it because they've had training. We got this. And yes, when we go into a situation where it's high stress, we we're actually better prepared. And if those guys who aren't, you know, I've had dogs, you know, that weren't performing well for their handlers and I've gone in and I smoke cigars when I train. So I got a stogie in my mouth and I'm running their dog. I'll run your dog and cigar smoke's coming out. We're in a SWAT situation. It's canine integration. And it's just so relaxed and everything. And then all this dog who would normally go after every other cover officer, every other operator is operating calmly because we've taken it out of the hands of an overzealous type A guy who thinks they got to be hard, heavy hitting, moving. No, just relax. Mm -hmm. So we've actually got to teach some guys just to chill, take down a notch. And, you know, that's everything. And the nice thing, too, is the agencies I work with, I'm typically involved in the selection of the officer. And then once I know the officer, I will go find their dog. And I will find the dog that matches that officer. Nice. So that's been huge as well. We don't let, I don't let officers pick their dog because they're going to pick it wrong, guaranteed. <laughs> These guys think they want the biggest asshole ever. No, you really don't. No, you don't. You you <laughs> couldn't handle someone like yourself, <laughs> let alone a dog. So yeah, having that 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 option of being able to pick the dog for the scenario has been a huge help. Sure. So I the cool thing I think that you brought this up, and Howard, did, um, you'll 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 probably convey on this as well. But and this is something that no one really understands because I mean, if you look at social media, and this is one of the downfalls I feel with social media and dog training is that dog training has its it's a label it's dog training so when then you look at like police the police dog training 
we all know in Howard, you and I know just being in, you know, we're in the same state, but different counties, there's different policy and procedure. Sure. And people don't know these things. They don't know what's, you know, in California, we just had the new UOF. I'm, I'm assuming that's going to be, that's gone um, happening here. What is UOF is the utilization of force uh, for people who are watching this, uh, where they start, they want to teach bargain holds and all that other you know, garbage uh, in high stress situations. But every law, every agency has their own policy and procedure. And it's the one people go like cops and the, I was like, it's different. You know, highway patrol is not a cop. Cop is not a police department. It's not a police department. Like, you know, it's not a highway patrol. It's sheriffs aren't, you know, cops. Like there's different things and every state, every county, almost, I want to say almost every county, especially in Cali, there's variance in policy and procedure. And then you go throughout the states, there's even more variance in policy, uh, policy and procedure. So there's such a huge misunderstanding of what, you know, the general public is to what police departments, how they react, how they do the things, how they, how they're supposed to work. And then even more so now with the canines, I mean, the UOF, I mean, there's so much variance there. I mean, like, and I feel like that's not really shown as much to the, the mass public or like told as much. Cause it's always just like, Oh, it's police canine. Da, da, da. It's like, I mean, depending on where you're at, what you're doing, like it's a different thing. So if you guys, because you guys have more insight onto that than I do. So go well, ahead and um, whoever wants to go first with that and talk about that. I'll go ahead and jump in and I'll let Howard see if he agrees. But I think that's the the same problem we're having in general with the populace not really knowing how law enforcement actually operates. You know, not understanding the, you know, the, the procedures. They don't understand. I, I think they miss their civics class. Because they really don't know how it works. You know, no, you don't get to plead your case before the cop. You don't get to fight him because you don't feel you're wrong. You accept the arrest and the judge makes a decision. The cops aren't there to make the decision. The judge does. Yeah. You know, and this whole misunderstanding of how law enforcement works and how civics work and how the process works is, is everything. And then, yes, everything is different from every single agency's. You know, I've got, you know, I work for an agency that, yeah, we could do a simple trespass and we could use our canine to clear the area. And, it's, you know, hey, you're in the area. So sorry, so sad. But then you've got other agencies that it has to be a violent felony. Right. And so, yes, it does run the gamut. But understanding it, yeah. I mean, in social media, there's so much lack of context with the videos is there's a video floating around right now about a a law enforcement officer who sent his dog and he left the dog on the bike, you know, and everybody, I mean, oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're eating our own in law enforcement right now. You get on these websites and they're eating their own, you know, I'm like, guys, you don't understand that the same people you're saying, except, you know, let's wait for a verdict to come out before we start eating our own are doing it to ourselves. And yeah, understanding context. The video doesn't always show context. What was that guy doing? And everybody's judging. Everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. And that's not really how it works. It's what would a reasonable officer do in the same situation? That's that's the 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 um, way that it works. 
It's not how would you feel the next morning. It's not how would you feel if you got to watch this video. It's in that moment, a reasonable officer in that opportunity, in that place with that, that level of training and experience, how would they respond to a situation? And yeah, social media has done so much to destroy that level of trust because people don't know the whole story. They haven't seen everything. And you know what you see from one camera angle could completely change from another camera angle. True. True. I, I would agree with all of that. I think that uh, my personal feeling is I, tr I really try to not respond to videos. Um, I have. I responded to that one last week with the, the guy that hung his hung his dog up. And we can, that one needed responding to. They talk about that. I don't even know about that one. <laughs> um, Salisbury PD. So it's just an hour and a half from here. And I felt like I kind of had a little bit of an insight to what was going on there and we, maybe we can talk about that but um yeah i think you know the experts have you know abound when when those videos come out and you're looking at a very small portion of time and you don't know what led up to that you don't know if that individual just nearly ran over half a dozen people um mm -hmm. and so you just don't really know what happens prior to that and it's very dangerous to to comment on those kind of things when you really don't have all the details and you don't know, again, you don't know what the different policies are as it relates to apprehending an individual. There's a difference between the two agencies that I train or the three agencies that I train. They each have their own individual policies and you know, one perception of one may be that one's more lenient, has more lenient bite policy than the other. But th at the end of the day, our bread and butter is tracking and detection. Those are the things that we really have to be proficient at. Um, but anyway, we the the video last week that was that was a, a cluster. Um, uh, I think. Uh, well, my it's funny. My inside to that is that, uh, and I won't name any names, but you know, North Carolina and and this community as a whole is relatively small. I mean, I've never met Rob before, but now I have. And and I know Rob people that Rob knows. And Rob knows people that I know. And Mike knows people that all of us know. So it really becomes a, a much smaller community than, than it, most people think. Um, so uh, when I saw that video, I realized I had seen that exact same thing before. Years ago, I had visited another agency when I was just getting started. And it was funny because I was watching this guy do obedience with his dog. And I thought, yeah, this all looks very normal. And the dog was in a down position and he got up and the handler walks over and he picks the dog up and slings him over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes, stringing him up and walks him back and puts him on the ground. Well, I looked at the, at the trainer like, aren't you going to stop this? And then it, then it occurred to me that he taught him this. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> well, we had the same scenario. I mean, you guys all seen the Vacaville PD one. Vacaville's about 30 minutes from me, you know, and seeing a guy punch his dog. Mm, yeah. You know, put him on his back, punch him, and you just go, you know, I got, I, I got so many phone calls because it's so local to me. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, that's knowing the training group, knowing the trainer, this right. old salty guy, mm -hmm. that's old school. Sure it is. I mean, you there's know, a Learberg, done 30, 40 years ago, but some people haven't upgraded their skills. Right. There's a Learberg video of that, of the alpha roll. Right. Oh, yeah. No longer available. 
And the one where the dude, like, he had the Belgian muzzle on, he puts him down, Alpha rolls yep. him, puts his finger in, back part of his finger, he's punching the... And that was for sale. <laughs> yeah. That was, and that was... I own it. How many years ago was that? Like, 10, 15 years ago? Oh, no, no, no. Way more than that. No, no, that's probably 20-something oh, years ago. Absolutely, yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember when I had that video, because I, like, I was like, because I was in rescue, or like in shelter work, and like obviously that's all positive reinforcement, yes, and like a bunch of stuff like that. Yeah. And then I go into like Schutz and I see that, but I remember watching that video. I'm like, there's this, there, the third dimension has been unlocked. I don't know what's going on anymore. Like this. Well, all you got to do is look at the videos of the dominant dog collar. Oh yeah, the original ones. Yeah, the little slip lead that was custom fit to your dog that you can choke him in half a second. Yep. You know, a lot of that stuff that was being out there, but that's what we were all doing. And it's funny is I had a client come in recently and they had a star mark collar. For those who don't know what a star mark collar is, it's like a Lego prong collar. Yeah. Um, PC friendly. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and they got this video that came with it. And, you know, so I'm looking at it, I go, can I have the video? Because I just want to watch it for informational purposes. So they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't watched it, but you can have it. Well, okay. Um, I take it home and I put it in and I'm watching this guy and it's all dominance theory. And it's all, you don't give the dog treats because that makes you a beta. You don't <laughs> give the dog food because, you know, the beta gives the alpha food um, and all these things. And I'm looking at it and going, what's wrong with this dude in this day and age? Why, why on earth are you talking about this day? And I didn't even realize it because it didn't hit me because I'm a product of the 80s and 90s. I look at his fashion. I look at his hair. I look at his clothes. I'm like, holy shit, this video is 30 years old. Yeah. And I talked just like that 30 years ago. Right. <laughs> you know, the dominance theory. And if you if you look up the guy who, who actually popularized the dominance theory, I just forgot his name, but I'll think in a minute. Um, but he released his book. The, the research was done in 68. The book was released in 70. It was our holy grail of studying wolves in captivity where we got all this dominance theory from the same guy who has who wrote that book has since done studies on wolves in their natural habitat and said i wish i'd never wrote that book mm. he says i wish they stopped he, he i guess he signed his way his publishing rights but the publisher is still printing that book and making new uh, releases all the time i wish they'd quit because he's completely debunked his own study all the dominance theory has been washed out the window. So, this is uh, actually a cool topic, and I've I, I've been lucky enough to been around wild wolves like uh, wolves like Aaron's brought me out in Minnesota um, to some you know some sanctuaries where they're out like we're hanging out and like I can actually say it's like I was out, out there drinking beer with wolves like <laughs> like just doing something <laughs> like, that. like like it was cool. I mean mosquitoes ate the shit out of me, um, but I, I it helped me dive into. Uh, when I when I did that years ago, helped me dive into like the actual psychology of like what, how different. I mean, because everyone was like, "Oh, it's wolf pack mentality, blah blah blah," with dogs, and it's not even remotely close. I feel. I mean, this is something I always preach: is that you know, dogs aren't wolves. Right. Do they have some generic generic trait or you know genetic traits? Yeah, there's something there. But what we did as people is that we we divided ourselves so far. Because we created them to be biddable, which is being, you know, wanting to work for us. We created them to be dependent. We did all these other things. We wanted them to want to work for us. We wanted to do all, all this other stuff. We created these breeds. And then somewhere in the last 10 years, we're like, 
free for all. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to note that, yes, dogs are not wolves, but wolves are a breed of dogs. And just like we have genetic traits that we breed dogs to, the same with a wolf. You can count on a wolf being fearful and shy of man because it's a defense mechanism. It's a survival thing. So, yes, we have a different dog. You know, I said, no, you can't compare the two. That's like comparing a, a German Shepherd to a Labrador and expecting there to be some kind of correlation. There's not. Learning theory stays the same, but temperament is different. Right. And then even talking about learning theory, like even like what most people think about learning theory, uh, when you look at it, when you if you pack structuralize it, like for me, like I run a house where my dogs don't aren't allowed to correct each other. Like it's just there. I have we all work together. They listen to me. I'm the only one that gets to correct them. Or Aaron, you know, like that's pretty much it. That's how I run my pack. Like that's just that's how I can send my whole squad up up the hill to go and yeah. find the bad guy. Like they understand they can't do those things. So I think like it, it, it's it's individually different per the dog that's in front of you, and also independent on what you're trying to do. And then not utilizing, like, this is the thing, this is the issue I've always had with, like, the Caesar Milan um, aspect was that it's always, like, it's always, like, oh, it's pack mentality. Well, I was, like, well, I mean, if you talk about pack mentality, like, an actual, like, wolf pack, like, they kill, they, they'll kill, they'll kill them. The guy. Like, they will like, call themselves out. They will call yeah, them Yeah, they call their own litters. Like, they, yep. like. Let's let them, I mean, if we want to get into like actual, like realistic, like wolfpack mentality, they, yeah. they they eat babies. Like, like, yeah. like that's what. Well, and that's what the guy who's the 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 original author of all the dominance theory. What he learned was studying the wolves in Yellowstone. Is they're actually not different dogs living amongst each other. They're the alpha male and female are actually mom and dad to all the wolves that are around them until those wolves break off and start their own little packs being the mommy and daddies there that pack is not strange wolves coming together and working it's built within it's like lions it, and it's lions. a family so the alpha male and female were the breeders because they're mama and daddy it's not putting these together and that's where people are getting this even screwed up today with having dogs who are over over socialized putting dogs in dog parks, putting dogs in play groups, all these things that are totally unnatural for a canine to be in. They're not. So let's red. reinstate that. Let's re rephrase that whole, let's actually let's reinstate that whole entire thing you just said, Rob. It's unnatural. Yes. Dog parks are unnatural. Yes. Totally unnatural. They're for people. They're for people. Oh, man, you just go down and watch and they're all talking to each other. They're all having a good time with each other while they're dogs. And you know, the best, the best analogies I use, even with my own clients who think that they, because they've heard on the internet and we'll, we're obviously, we're going to be talking about more about social media here, but they've heard on the internet that that's how you socialize your dog is taken to a dog park and let them play with other dogs. And, you know, I'm like, well, even walking down the street, you know, somebody comes up, can my dog say hi to your dog? No. Can I say hi to your dog? No, and people aren't asking for permission. They're couching their they're couching their intentions in the form of a question. They're like, "Can I say hi to your dog?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, the best thing to do, especially when I have clients who are parents, I go, "Did you let 
people walk up and touch your kid? Like, uh, no. Did you let your kid play with kids that you didn't know? No. Did you let your kid get bullied on the playground by other kids? No. Did you let your kid bully other kids? No. But why are you allowing all that with your dog? Yeah. Boom. It's funny. There's been a been a group of folks that are trying to put one in our little our little community. And I am, I am waiting for the day that I actually get asked about my opinion on this. And I am going to be the worst person in the in the whole entire town because I well, must the beauty be of that thinks it's the, a bad yeah the beauty of it, Howard, is when you decide you want to get into the pet business, mm-hmm. it'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be making it rain <laughs> exactly because every one of those dogs is coming to come in for training for leash reactivity for dog aggression everything else all those dogs in the dog parks are going to be calling you i got to fix my dog mm-hmm. uh, you know if i could if i actually knew how to do a spreadsheet and i could make an excel spreadsheet that was the advent of dog parks and the advent of my dog training business my pet training business that arc went right up together <laughs> And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing for business. It sucks because I love dogs, but I I, I wish they didn't exist. And I wish I didn't have a successful dog training business based upon the fact that people are being stupid with their dogs. But you're going to see a huge increase in business if you get a dog park. So Howard, that being said, so you, you think about, you know, obviously, you know, you deal with like, human, you know, mental psychology, the way that they think you deal with dogs, uh, the mental, mental psychology and how they think and like things that they do. And like, we're on completely different coasts, even like between you, me and uh, Rob, like we're, we're very much further from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you are working with your dogs and the things that you're working with, like how, when you look at the mental psychology from a dog and especially when t- talking about like the stuff that we're talking about, social neutrality, you know, when you have, you're coming in with a, a team, the dog's going through there. How much social neutrality do you guys work with? And how important is it? Do you see it, especially with the, what we talked about, the, you know, the new influx of what people think is socialization with dog parks and, you know, puppy play dates and everything like that. So if you can sum that up for me. I mean, in terms of the dog being social with other officers or, yeah, the correlation of social with other officers versus what people think socialization actually is. Oh goodness. Um, well, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of a little bit of a crossroads. Not really a crossroads, but I'm having a different uh, line of thinking as it relates to. I think there have been handlers in the past, and I'm, I'm thinking one in particular that, that felt like he needed to have a dog that only he could manage, and I think that a lot of that became was really a pride issue. It's a really unfortunate story because um, the dog was phenomenal, but he became that. He became that dog that only he could manage. Now, he could work uh, in any situation, whether he was doing detection, doing uh, bite work. He was not like he's not going to bite everybody. And if he's focused on his task, he's not he's not dangerous at all. In fact, he was very well controlled, but he was well controlled with that particular handler. Um, here's the unfortunate story part. He, he was shot and killed four years ago, uh, serving a warrant. Um, we got a phone call 1230 at night to come 
secure the dog at. And I, so I envisioned one, of course, I was concerned about his safety. Two, I was very concerned that the dog was out there and he wasn't. But the reality is, is that that dog had no relationship with anybody. So kind of where I am now, and, and I was left to deal with that. And inevitably, we ended up taking that dog in his retirement. He was nine years old when this occurred. He was real close to retirement. But it was quite a chore to get him socialized to our our family. So it took me, I took my time with, with my wife. It took about two months to where I felt like he was completely comfortable with her and she could manage him. For me, it was really quick, but you know, when you decoy for a dog for so long and you you get this in your head, it's kind of hard to, to kind of switch gears that the reality is, is that dog really liked me because he enjoyed the work that we did together. Um, so it really wasn't, the hangup was mine. The dog was the dog was good from the get-go, honestly. He was a little pushy, um, but I never got, he never attacked me. But, you know, in terms of the, the work that I think as we go forward, I really like the aspect of a dog being able to manage by, to be managed by other handlers at, at, as well. It doesn't make him any less effective. He can still be just as effective. I think that is a very old school mentality too. I don't want anybody messing with my dog well the reality is is that there are plenty of team dogs out there that work with lots of different people yeah. uh, and, and i think that's just a more healthy thing to, to do um, yeah yeah but in terms of our dogs being social they're they're not social from the aspect that obviously we, we kind of have a policy. we don't let anybody pet them i mean obviously there's there are people that ask so that's a no-go people ask to pet them patrol dog magic. That's not an option. Um, and folks do, and that's fine. We just have chosen not to, not to take that liability. Because, uh, you know, dogs are dogs, and somebody might turn away and miss a cue, and boom, then we've got an accident, and we've got a situation. So with the dogs, obviously, they, they're, you know, we do building searches all the time where there's other officers, other people in the, in the building at the same time, and Generally, when you're sending the dogs to, to search a building, they're they're looking for things behind doors. Um, somebody standing in an open room, yeah, they're going to tag them. But generally speaking, they're looking, they're trying to detect. They're doing detection when they're in, doing building search. So you're, as a backup officer, you're perfectly fine behind them. Um, generally, you can walk with them if you need to. Uh, so they're, they're social in that aspect. They're controlled. That's maybe a better word than social because they're really yeah, for sure. they're not particularly social. Does that answer your question? It does. Well, I'll, I'll tap into that too. And I, I like your term social neutrality, which is what I strive for and I, what I give every dog. You know, I, I coined a phrase years ago when they asked me to go do a talk at Google. And it just came into my head that day when I was doing the presentation on training philosophies and psychologies. And I said, Disneyland is next to me. The greatest place on earth is right next to me. That's where his tug happens. That's where rewards happen. That's where he gets sent from. Everything on earth is the greatest place ever. He was never allowed to go out and just be nilly willy with other dogs or other people. He didn't get, so no, you're not excited by other stimulus like dogs or people, but you're not afraid of them either. You're just neutral. They look yeah. out and go, yes, 
that's a person, that's a dog, but my human, what do you have for me? And I think that's what we're talking about with, with uh, you know, that social neutrality. 100%. So when I go into a situation, I got to send my dog into a backyard. I got to send my dog into a house and there's another animal there. My dog is not interested in that. That's not what they're out there for. There's, right. you know, guys who are around me. They're neither a threat nor their friend. Right. They're just guys around me. Sure. Because all the greatest things happen right here. And he just goes, all I care about is you at this moment. And I know we talk a lot about dogs being selfish and everything else, but yes, through the conditioning process, all I care about is what's coming from your hand and from your mouth. And I'm not worried about anything else around me. And I try to do that with every dog I res, whether it's a client civilian dog, where we don't have the dog get excited, especially like in a multi-dog household. When I tell people, hey, if you're going to have a second and third dog, you need to raise them like they're the only dog. You know, for their first year of their lives, everything still is all about you, not about playing with the other dog, not getting trained by the other dog. You know, it's all about you. And you got to train them like you did the first dog. Otherwise, you basically got your pet a pet. Right. right. Yeah. So I, I want you to be the all, <laughs> all glowing, all happy, all Disneyland thing in their life and everything else. It's just stuff. Yeah. I understand. I just say everyone else's furniture. Only thing that matters is me and yeah, my daughter, my my uh, my wife here. So, so before we end this, uh, it's amazing drinks and dogs. Uh, obviously, like this is the conversation I wanted to have with you guys. You guys have been in the industry for a very long time. Um, I mean, shit, Rob. I think you've been in the industry longer than I've been alive. Uh, <laughs> Rob, Howard, about five years short of that. Uh, <laughs> Um, working heavily within, like, and not even just in the industry as work training dogs, but actually like working dogs um, throughout the years. And this is something that's always been extremely, like, for me, I, I like to watch like behavior. I like to watch like things move. I like to see how people react to certain things. I like that's something that's been extremely interesting to me, you know, given my past and everything like um, And just being my fighting background, I've been a counter puncher my whole life um, without knowing it. Um, I like to watch these things and I've noticed and especially during COVID a change in the way that social media works. And you guys have been doing this before even social media existed, like anything, like nothing. What have you guys noticed? And I'll let you guys pick and choose who you guys want to go for, uh, forth with. How much has social media affected business or just the dog training industry or any comments you may have with that? Um, you know, go ahead and have at it whenever you guys want, you know, when you guys want to go. Well, um, you want to go first, Howard? Uh, you it doesn't matter. All right. Well, social media for me, you know, and seeing in the dog training world, again, it goes back to just the last topic we were talking about. It's just the, the inundation of incorrect information. The well, the well-meaning people who really know nothing about learning theory, who really know nothing about animal psychology, who never really studied, you know, cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy, which is what I tell people all the time. When we're doing dog training, we're doing CBT. We're not doing Freudian stuff where we care about what happened in their past. This is the behavior we have. This is what we're addressing at this time. Yeah, but this idea that every rescue dog 
is must have been abused. Every, you know, and every dog needs to say hi to every dog. And this this fur baby syndrome that's going on in the pet community, which is destroying dogs, you know, it's, it's increased that. It's increased it tenfold. It didn't exist. I mean, when I was a kid, the dogs lived outside. Mm. That's what they did. It was my, my English bulldog was the first dog that was allowed to sleep in the house with me. Every other dog is outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this, the, the creeping in of the 1970s pop psychology of child training has creeped into the dog training community. Mm. Don't tell your dog no, because it will affect their self-esteem. <laughs> you know, you just want to throat punch somebody. Yeah. Yeah, are you kidding me? The dog doesn't know what no means. If I say no and give my dog a treat, let's charge the marker. No treat, no treat, no treat, yeah. <laughs> no means nothing good. And if I say good dog and smack it in the face every time, good dog is going to have a different meaning. So it's a lack of just basic understanding of classical conditioning, operant conditioning, the lack of learning theory that that's being perpetuated in these circles. Mm-hmm. based upon human emotions sure. and not true science. It's like the purely positive folks saying it's based on science. Well, no, B.F. Skinner taught us a lot about behavioral things, and it was science. Mm-hmm. And he, <laughs> nobody has ever shown a study that says purely positive, never actually correcting a dog is scientific to show the dog how they work. I've worked with animal trainers. For, we're fortunate enough to be here in Vallejo where we have six flags, where we have dolphins and all that. I've gotten to go out and hang out with those trainers and learn their theories. And actually, some of those trainers actually bring me their dogs to train because it's a little bit different than training a marine mammal. You know? And I asked them, I go, you know, all this nonsense about, well, they never have to use a positive punisher on a marine mammal. Yeah, but a marine mammal's stuck in a small tank. All their food comes from the human. And even then, if you know the lions and the tigers that are in training, none of those lions and tigers are about about three or four years old that they're working with in their show. Because once a lion or a tiger hits sexual maturity, they don't work them anymore. Mm -hmm. They just can't. Mm -hmm. They're no longer going to work. Brain drive. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Once, you know, so people who don't understand these things and are trying to use these examples and trying to go to, so, you know, and, and just being able to perpetuate it is ridiculous. Yeah. So, social media has definitely done a lot of damage to the basic understanding of, you know, where the old days, yeah, we didn't know as much as we do now and there wasn't as much information. But when the trainer talked, people listened. Right. Now yeah. they're going, well, let me go look on the internet and see what the internet says. See what the internet experts have to say. The Google yep. machine. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, I, I think it's open. To, it's you're right. I think the hard part is for people to try to decipher what's the good stuff from the bad stuff. And you know, anthropomorphism kind of kind of winds its way back in people's emotions. They start attaching to to dogs, and it gets very convoluted. And uh, you can even hear somebody say, even hear a trader say, well. This dog likes to please. Really? He's particularly adept at getting his needs met through you. I don't think he's trying to please you at all. He happens to do something that you like, 
I mean, that might look that looks like he's trying to please you. Um, but again, I think there's there's good and bad. I, I think for for a lot of folks, though, the fact that you have immediate access to information, whether it's good or bad, I mean, that's that's the difficult part. But the fact that you have such quick information where we never had that. We referred to the Learberg videos. That was a lot of that was a lifeline for a lot of us, because the only time that we got any feedback is when we went to a seminar and you got to see what your your other folks in your state or in your region were doing. And uh, I always found that I always found that I could validate something that I that I come up with because um, you could see somebody else doing it. And I always liked my guys going to seminars because they kind of look around and go, hey, we're pretty good. You know, and then they would come home and it was kind of a shot in the arm because they did have they had access to, I thought, pretty good training. So um, there's good and bad stuff. I'd, I'd say for me, um, it opened when I started this white beard thing. I wasn't that was really because of taxes, honestly. <laughs> but what it did, though, is it did open that that year for whatever reason. I've been doing this all these years and I went to very few seminars. About three, four years ago, when we started this business, I started looking at, hey, there's a workshop nearby. Um, there's another workshop nearby. I'm going to start going to these workshops and I can write them off on my taxes. Duh. I mean, in the past, the police department paid for it, but now I was paying for it myself and I actually started going. I, I went to see Mike Suttle, Pat Nolan, uh, Hans Verbruggen all in one year. And it's like, holy cow, I've been missing out. And it really, it really opened my eyes to a whole different way of training. And, and honestly, before then, I was, I was probably pretty considered pretty old school. I mean, if you'd asked me four or five years ago about a clicker, I'd, I wouldn't have laughed, but I wouldn't have gone, yeah, I know exactly where I would use that or I know how I would use that. It would be um, definitely more compulsion, but not heavy-handed compulsion. Yeah. Um, I, I really have implemented more, more things as a result of and indirectly, maybe social media, because I wouldn't have known about those people um, probably had I not read about them or seen videos. So there's there's maybe the positive side of yeah. that. If you connect yourself to the right people, then then, yeah, but man, there is a ton of of misinformation out there for sure. Yeah, I guess that, that's probably something we should all think about, too. Yeah, I didn't even go to the positive aspects of it. I mean, Ivan Balabanov. Mm-hmm. And guys like that learning conflict free training. I mean, that's that's been my core for years now. You know, and, and I didn't need him to teach it to me. It became, you know, but he validated it for me. And 90% of the dogs now that go through handlers courses with me never even see a pinch collar. Yeah. It was funny, yeah. the world did become much smaller too as a yes. result of social media. In terms of, you know, I've kind of it crushed things down. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's just this connection alone. I mean, when when would we have crossed paths? Right. Right. That's like the I. So in 2020 and 2021, um, for me at least, it became like one of these like. Actually, it started with Rob's uh, like Hot Wings Challenge. Um, <laughs> so it like for me like I'm I'm. I am what you see. Like this is pretty much exactly who the person I am that you're gonna meet. Like you know what? I might curse a little more um, <laughs> in person, yeah. um, but it, it's it was really crazy to me that how social media had brought and 
brought so many people together, but divided a lot at the same time. And then when COVID hit, uh, you know, I we started the Strengths and Dogs, we started PCU Online, we started the War Room, we started K9 Street League with Oscar. We did a bunch of different things to kind of help unify specific, you know, specific el uh, elements of dog training and kind of show that dog training isn't dog training. Dog training is a broad spectrum, like, let's say, you know, Howard, you know, mental health. You know, there's a lot of different mental illnesses mm -hmm. out there in the world. Like, and there's a lot of different issues when it comes to, you know, dogs and, you know, different specializations. And, you know, it is a specialty thing. It's just like, if you're a doctor, what are you a doctor of? Are you a doctor of brain surgery, stomach? You know, like it's it just, there's the, the variety of it. Same thing as a dog trainer. So a dog trainer is not always necessarily a dog trainer. Um, but I felt like that was a good part for me to, in this, especially in 2020, to go ahead and be like, look at dog training is not dog training. This is all the dog training. Like, <laughs> these are all the different guys in dog training. Like, it specializes in different things. What may be my weakness, maybe this person's strong point, and this is where we need to go to for this thing, or like, you know, vice versa. So I, I've utilized social media in a sense of, and like for me, this isn't like a comp, like there's no real competition for me, like in the sense of that, because I feel like there's just like, do we can all share this together? I mean, there's dogs everywhere. Like it's, there's no oh, way. Yeah. Like this business all is not slowing down. This, yeah, this I mean, like, industry is not getting smaller. And I well, think I think you talk about the specializing part of it. And that's that's the thing. You guys have a specialty in in pets and, and that's something that you developed. And that's that I don't feel like that's that's definitely not my specialty because that's not where I've invested my time. I think I understand some of the dynamics. But if I had a nickel for the number of times that people ask me questions about their pets on a weekly basis, I'd, I'd be very, very wealthy and I would retire long ago. But, you know, the bottom line is I'm pretty good at teaching dogs to find things and bite people. I mean, though, that's really my specialty. I feel like I, if I'm going to venture into that business, and I, I probably will at some point, I got a lot to learn. And, and I'm glad I have resources. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think I look at it this way, Robin, you'll probably co-sign on with me on this. Like, especially what you're talking about right now, Howard, um, is that if you look at combat sports, you know, there's a mess, I mean, magnitude, multitude, whatever what frame you want to put it in of different variations of it. Just on, let's say, stand up, there's kickboxing, you know, there's taekwondo, there's karate, there's, you know, boxing, there's a bunch of different stand up arts, you know, and when it comes to ground games, jujitsu, you know, freaking judo there's so many different variations of combat sports right so there's different arts that people specialize in and i feel like some people specialize in a lot of them and some people round about them and i feel like people who are specialists in those things and like that's where you look at combat sports i look at the same way as dog training this person is great at like what you're great at howard like the things that you do this person is good at what you know what you do rob like this is the things that you do this like these people want want this like this is where you know you go to primal canine or whatever it may be right and the, but it's all based on and this is like the point of drinks and dogs uh is to show you know dog training is not dog training you know right. people spend you guys have spent decades per, like proficiently being perfect at your craft or progressing your craft and doing everything that you guys have done 
And whether you, you guys are dog trainers, but you guys are individually different. Mm-hmm. And the, what you guys are proficient at are individually different and different styles, whether it may be the same topic, but you guys are good at it and doing the style that you guys have, it's still proficient in what you guys are doing. And that's the same thing. Like I, I envision when it comes to the stuff within Primal Canine and things that we do here. And that's why we have PCU online is because I want to be able to provide great, great information and different perspectives because it works for you and it works for what you guys are doing. And I think that's where social media comes into play when it comes to being a good thing. But I also view it as one of those things that can be a, a, a bad thing really quickly, especially when it comes to the masses, because you can fall down that Google machine rabbit hole and the YouTube monster and go, yeah. go, <laughs> go down there. Well, like you said, it's, it's a, it's a double edged sword and you get people out there who are, who have a lot of followers who probably should be training dogs at all. You get people with bonkers and you get people doing this and that and all the nonsense out there, dog training. Again, with a lack of understanding of proper learning theory, you know, and also understanding that, you know, my methods work, but my methods aren't the only methods. Right. And every dog training question, I tell people all the time, every dog training question should be answered with, it depends. You know, and I think the more of us that are out there to get more of those, well, it depends on what. Well, what did that guy do to help us out? You know, being able to reach across these kind of, you know, social media um, platforms and going, hey, um, you're effective. What did you do different? You know, what happened in this scenario? Because, yeah, I I tell people a lot. You know, I'm not the dog trainer I was five years ago. And I hope I'm not the dog trainer in five years that I am now. I hope I've continued to progress. And the the overwhelming amount of information disseminated, disseminated properly on the internet is absolutely helpful to us. So in that group, you know, regard, yeah, it's definitely a positive, but the dissemination is a problem and the lack of ability to disseminate. This is a good thing that you brought up to Rob and then Howard, because you are in the mental health industry. Um, Defining a cookie cutter method in dog training and utilizing human failed psychology uh, and forcing that on every single dog as a mental health professional how do you feel about that well that's lunacy how's that <laughs> I, I figured you were going to say the same <laughs> yeah, so there what you're saying is that there there are a significant number of, of folks out there that that do that yeah that have a very prescribed this is what these are the timelines that, that this needs to take place in and that's how they make their money. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've heard much. Yeah. Well, that goes to the, the, the phrase we always use with my company, train the dog in front of you. You know, there is no one approach. Yeah. I had a dog today. I was working with a, a behavior modification case. It was a, an American bully XL, big headed, beautiful boy. Uh, but wants to kill every car that comes near him. Yeah, if a car is coming down the street, he's going to kill that car. That's what he wanted to do. And, and you could be as hell. <laughs> oh yeah. And they live on one of the busiest streets in our town. You know, like, oh man, what a combination. Now typically when I teach a dog to walk with 
this person is engaged with this person, not in the environment. We're not sniffing. We're not, you know, marking every little thing. But this dog also has a very strong drive to sniff and to mark. I mean, you can just see it. His whole, you just, you can almost feel the oxytocin being released into his brain. You know, when he does this. So I took this dog out today on that busiest street. And I go, every time a car comes at us, tell him to take a break. And that dog would go immediately. I go find a post, find a hydrant, find a tree, something that's really highly scented. Mm-hmm. Let the dog go out, take a break. And the dog go, boom. As soon as the car started coming, he would start now looking at his, the car, but go, hmm, I'd like to go back to this. I wouldn't do that in any other situation. Mm-hmm. But that needed to be done for that dog. And the therapy will hopefully be that oxytocin keeps getting released into that dog's brain whenever that dog's come, that car's coming at him. Instead of it being a negative thing where cortisol is being dumped, now oxytocin will take its place. And within an hour, we saw a complete change within that dog by just going outside of my normal thinking mm-hmm. and, and finding what works for that dog. So there really is no boss. Yeah. yeah. Always open. That's how I feel about any form of thought process or psychology and things that in, in general. It's saying, you know, you got to adapt to what's in front of you and work with that. You work with what you have. Yeah. So yeah one of the work phrases is all you got to do is. <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, is you know, yeah, what all I, you got to do is listen <laughs> and watch. <laughs> well, understanding that, you know, dealing with a dog is like dealing with a nonverbal autistic human. The, the term I use is, right there. Uh, yeah. like the, one of the terms I use for uh, my clients when they come in, I'm like, I'm basically, you know, how do you think your dog feels? You just dumped them in a third world country. No, they don't understand the language. They can't, their mouths shut. They can't say anything. How do you yeah. think they feel? Like, how do you think they understand? And you're just sitting here being like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all this stuff's going on. Like, I was like, every verbal communication every form of physical contact has some form of meaning or learning to that dog. And I simplify the shit out of it because I'm a simple person. So, you know, the same thing, like I just, I tell people like everything that you do with your dog and dogs are associated based learners. They learn from it. Yeah. Well, you're either training by omission or by commission. Mm -hmm. It's what you lack to do or what you're trying to do, but either way, the dog's still learning. The dog's always training. The dog's always modifying his own behaviors because either A, we omit to train, or B, we commit to train. So for those who don't understand the big words that Rob is using, it's associative-based learning. This gets you this. This gets you that. Don't You don't have to Google. The Google machine. (laughs) And they're learning all the time. Always. Yeah. And that's a big thing, too. Like, I'm sure, like, you know, dealing with mental health, um like teaching howard like i'm sure like this is all things that kind of play in a play with you right mm-hmm. like consistently well, and under also understanding we have four lobes through the human brain dogs have two they don't have the frontal cortex or the temporal uh, lobe to do all of their compassions and empathies and all that stuff yeah. so we have to come down to their learning levels they can't come up to ours Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're not your babies. 
They are not your fur babies. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, uh, I know it's getting late for you over there, so I'm going to let you guys um, get off here. But um, before I wrap this up, uh, first of all, before we start plugging your guys' uh, everything you guys are going, uh, I want to I say thank you. Um, you know, I, I've actually been working on getting this podcast or this episode up for the past, what, four, two, like, I would say four weeks, three months. Like, well, like weeks. eight months for me. It's been a long time I've been working on this. Um, and I, I appreciate your patience. I mean, I've been working on a lot of uh, different projects. Uh, but, you know, this is one I really wanted to put out there. Um, and I really wanted to work with you guys on because it is, you know, different coast, um, different ideals, but all ends up being the same. Uh, and, you know, I, I just appreciate your guys' time. So, uh, you, know, I, you know, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for being on. Uh, thanks for being Drinks and Dogs. So I'm going to cheers you guys real quick. Cheers. I was like, this is like my third glass of whiskey. <laughs> Rob's like, I'm pretty much done with the bottle. <laughs> um, but so let's go ahead and get down the line here. Howard, how can anyone get a hold of you if they need some training or anything? I'm open for seminars. In fact, I'm doing one in Georgia the week after next. Um, do it with the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Um, I'm coming back there. I'm fortunate they keep inviting me back. I've got uh, a good buddy of mine, Rich Harden, who has an incredible resume, but he's got a business in uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, Double H Canine. And uh, Mike Santana is a handler trainer down there in Georgia who's going to be helping as well. And then Michael Nesbeth and uh, Carlos Ramirez will be there as well. Some heavy hitters, some really great young talent. You know, I I like doing seminars and, and that would be, you know, the more of those, the better. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm canine TRNR Facebook. I'm Howard Young. Um, I also have a white beard canine Facebook page, but um, I don't do a whole lot on that. I stay pretty active on social media, though. <laughs> Try yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You do good. You do good. Yeah, more than me, I think. Yeah. Big yeah. Rob, go ahead. Uh, what's yours? So, nextgenk9.com is a website. No T. N-E-X-T-N-K-9. No T. Yeah. And on Facebook, same thing. And also, I run that rescue, 11th Hour Canine Rescue, which is what the whole fundraiser was for, for the Hot Wings Challenge that we did. Um, I go into uh, shelters. When the shelter calls me and go, we're going to put this dog down because nobody can handle it. It's a behavioral case. You know, can you come see it? Now I go in and most of the time, take that dog out, rehabilitate it, get it to the proper home. Um, so that's really popular. It's 11th hour. So it's one, one T H H O U R canine rescue.com. You can look there. And also again, they're on Facebook and Instagram. I know a lot of people who are listening tonight have added me as friends on Instagram. Um, the one canine page is my personal page. So you won't see too much of our business going on there, but if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're also at next gen canine and also 11th hour canine rescue. You can find us there. Awesome. Well, again, gentlemen, I appreciate you guys uh, taking time out of your busy weeks. I know you guys are grinding out there. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks for everyone that's. Oh, thanks for having uh, us. Yeah, man. I appreciate you guys. You know, the, yeah. the, I told the, 
I told the guys I was like, we got to bring the OGs in here now. Uh, so, <laughs> so we got we got we got to bring the OGs in this thing. So, um, you know, I appreciate you guys for being on, uh, Howard. I'll, I'm I'll be out there here pretty soon, the end of this year. Be working some dogs, Rob. We obviously we're next door to each other, so I got yeah. some stuff I got to do here pretty soon, especially with Street League. Um, the only announcement that the tech team has made me to say right now is if you guys are watching at nine o'clock and this is the stuff that I hate to do because I'm not a person that likes to be on Instagram or any social media. I don't do this because I'm forced to do it. <laughs> but uh, at nine o'clock tonight, Pacific Standard Time, uh, the canine, a road to canine street league, second episode comes out. So that is roughly 29 minutes from this point right now. Episode two of Road to Street League is coming up. So thanks again, guys, for uh, being on this. I appreciate you guys so much. Um, yeah, guys, Rob, I'm send you some Cerberus whiskey. All right, I'm waiting for it. I can't wait to uh, work some dogs with you uh, here soon. And then uh, also, guys, uh, the PCU team, thanks for putting this on. So everyone, thanks, yeah, thanks for watching. Yep. Sign up. Check these dudes okay. out. We'll be talking soon. All right. All right. Bye bye. How do we do that?